We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, as usual, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for the ratings and reviews. Thanks for the tweets, the retweets, the emails. Just thanks for everything. Now, on to my guest for today, Mario Nafal, founder of NFT Technologies. Mario may not have the Midas touch, but he certainly discovered some of the secrets of growing successful businesses. He started out selling blenders by knocking on doors in 2012. There he honed his skills and how to effectively walk potential customers through a sales funnel from getting their attention, having them try the product, then selling it. His company hit seven figures in the first year and grew exponentially from there. He believes one of the keys to success is timing. That doesn't mean that everything he's tried has been a phenomenal success. He's on some failures too. Four years after launching his first business, Mario started Go Global, the precursor to what he's now doing at the Athena Group, a consulting services group that helps companies scale and grow. Mario's latest venture NFT Technologies is now getting ready to go public, the first of its kind to do so. NFT Technologies invests in and creates businesses in the metaverse space that specializes in cryptocurrency and NFTs, non-fungible fungible tokens. Excuse me. The metaverse, he explains, is an alternative digital reality space with huge potential for growth. The metaverse is now what the internet was to the 1990s, according to Mario. He sees huge potential in this space over the long run. Now, let's get better together. Mario Nafal, welcome to the podcast. Jerry, thanks for having me, man. Well, you're quite welcome because it appears like today you probably are like kind of going public. <laughs> yeah, so we're in the process of going public. It's going public in um, later this month, most likely, um, but oh. we're going through a lot of there's a lot of um, 
things that need to be to get done this month. So it makes it um, first time I take a company public. Uh, so it's um, interesting experience. Wow. Well, we're just going to have to talk about that because uh, that's part of um, you're doing that through the Athena group, which is a group of companies that you guys have. And uh, let's let's dig all into that. Um, but before we do that, let's quickly just go over how you got to do what you're doing today. Sure. Uh, so quick thing, the company going public is unrelated to Athena. Okay. Uh, just I have to be very careful about what I say because um, when it's a public entity, everything I say um, you know, it gets sensitive and, and my life just changes. And as a, as, a, as a person that speaks his mind like crazy, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. Um, but yes, <laughs> I, got, I got started um, in a, a few years ago now. So back in 2012, um, started in e-com before anything else. You know, now a CEO of a company going public, uh, doing a lot of investments, investing massively Um and uh, run a pretty large consulting firm in crypto or run a growth hacking agency. All the stuff that I do now, it all started with one company, an e-com company called Fruity, which still exists today. I don't run it, but I own it. And it's an e-com company in over 30 countries. I started door knocking in Australia, literally going door to door selling products until I landed on a product that worked. And now Fruity is a, is a global brand that sells high-end kitchen appliances. Wow. Like what kind of kitchen appliances? Mainly blenders and juices. There's also a cooking machine, like a multi-cooker. Um, and they're launching a few products that, you know, I haven't, I haven't been in the loop, uh, but I know they're launching a few new products as well. Wow. So knocking on doors to figure out what was good and what stuck, and then taking that and scaling an e-commerce company. Yeah, it did really well. Like we hit seven figures. In, I hit seven figures in year one. I was based in Australia. And then eight figures in year two, and that was all out of nothing. So it was a really interesting, um, interesting journey. Yeah, because that's a different sort of take on it than most e-commerce companies would go. I mean, usually, you know, someone will put up a landing page on a website, you know, and kind of try to growth hack it to something. Whereas you actually met with customers um, door to door, which is like the thing that always, well. What always impresses me is people that get out of the building, quote unquote, go out in the field and like talk to people because there's nothing like being like in person in front of someone talking to them about what you're doing. Did you find that that was hugely helpful in the scale of, of what you were doing? Yeah. So I started door to door before going down the path of, of selling on eBay, then creating a website and then selling on a website without even having an online shopping cart. I was like, you know, I have to contact us. You know, I did it all wrong, but I got a few things right. And one of them is the copywriting. Like I knew how to sell. I knew how to word and add, how, what to write on a page, what to say to a customer on the call. But the way I learned those skills is through door knocking. Now, when you door knock, you have to walk in the door and you have to convince the person not to kick you out on the spot. Then you have to convince them to listen to you. Then you have to convince them to try the product and then you convince them to buy the product a couple of weeks later. So um, that process, which we call now a funnel, it's the same thing when you knock on doors. And why is it the same? Because you're dealing with people. Whether you're, you're, whether you're knocking on a door, whether you're uh, taking someone to your website from an ad, whether you're emailing someone, whether you're discussing a deal over the phone, whatever it is, it's a person and it's, you know, you're dealing with their brain and you're taking their brain through the same process, just different environments, door-to-door, -door, phone, internet. 
Hmm. Interesting. So like you were doing a physical, literally a physical funnel, quote unquote, as opposed to what people, you know, have with like click funnels and online funnels. Did you find, what was your success rate on this door knocking exercise? Really high. Like when I started door knocking and I've never done door knocking before and I'm a very proud person. So knocking on doors and people telling me, hey, leave or whatever, you know, that's not my jam. Like I'm a very proud person. I, I don't like being treated in a, in a disrespectful way or being below people. But, um, you know, when you knock on someone's door and you walk into their, uh, their territory, they're, they've got the upper hand. You're trying to sell them something. So something I wasn't used to. Uh, it was a bit difficult, but I did really well. Thankfully, I started doing six figures, the run rate, relatively quickly. Um, and uh, how the process was, like how easy it was to sell, um, because the process was like, it wasn't to sell. My first job was to offer a trial and then sell the product, which was like a water dispenser for offices. Um, and it worked really, really well. But what's interesting is when I tried other products from LED lights to uh, coffee machines, uh, yogurt for cafe. Sorry, man, I haven't, I'm sleeping back on the screw. I'm just traveling every two days. But uh, yogurt bars for cafes, nothing worked. And then I realized like, holy shit, like I landed on a product that worked. And I learned the same thing in business. When I, when my first business hit eight figures relatively quickly, the e-com business, I'm like, holy shit, anything I touch is will be gold. I look what I just did with this e-com business. And then I had a massive wake up call where I almost went bankrupt. And I looked like <laughs> I had a few, a few. Yeah, we all have. Yeah, I've launched have. A, a few businesses that I launched that didn't do so. I'm like, I should be, you know, I should have the Midas touch and all these products didn't work. Um, and, um, and yeah, so it was, it was an interesting experience to see. And the same thing happened with my B2B businesses. You know, you land on one. So that's the thing in business. Like you got to try many things. But when one, so try, you throw many pebbles, as Jim Collins says, throw, throw, throw different pebbles. But when a pebble hits, get the damn cannonball and just go all out. Um, so for entrepreneurship, the hardest part is to land on a winning product or winning strategy. But when you do, go all out. Yeah, no, no, I found that too. I found that the, like, and I'm, I'm talk with a lot of tech entrepreneurs, right? So they're always building this newfangled SaaS or device or piece of hardware. And, you know, they get really enamored with the thing. Like, here is the thing, the product. And a lot of times they don't validate the market. Like, they don't really think, is this going to be a winner or not? And more importantly, I think what's amazing about that is that sometimes what you think is a winner may or may not be a winner. So were there times where you're like, like you mentioned before, you you, you were trying to scale this company and you're like, ah, oh, this is going to be it on the Midas touch. What was, do you know, what was the differentiating factor between these products? Was it just timing? I mean, there, it seems like there's an alchemy to it and you're right. I, I love the whole analogy of throwing pebbles and then taking the cannonball, and just like blowing it up, you know? Yeah, so you mentioned timing. There's a great video. It's a TED speech by a person called Bill Gross, a very smart person. And he talks about the different factors that determine a, a business's success. So if anyone Googles Bill Gross, TED, T-E-D, Bill Gross, G-R-O-S-S, <coughs> you'll thank me. Because he compares various factors to see which one leads, which one is most likely to lead to a business's success. And he looks at the team, the ID, the business plan, the funding, and the and timing by far timing was the most common factor 
across businesses that succeeded. So launching a crypto startup right now versus launching a, a hotel business, you're more likely, there's no guarantees, of course, but you're more likely to, to, do, to become a millionaire from the crypto startup versus a, an antiquated COVID destroyed hotel industry business. So um, timing just makes success much easier. And that applies with my success as well. My Fruity succeeded because I was selling blenders and juices when I first started at the right time when the products were booming in Australia and across the world. Um, I got into crypto in 2017, just before, or just near the end of a bull run, but you know, during a bull run. And timing helped me succeed. And I can give multiple examples where timing played a key role in my success. Again, timing alone is not enough for success. And you can be a millionaire in the hotel business today. Um, it's just harder. And business is about increasing your odds of success and reducing the impact of luck over your success. And the more of these boxes that you tick, the more of these determining factors that you tick on your entrepreneurial journey, the less impact luck will have on your success. Hmm. Yeah, I always tell people when it comes to like public relations and PR and getting like mentioned in news and stuff, that timing is absolutely everything. Like if no one's talking about what you're doing, no one's going to cover it. If it's just not a hot topic. Um, and it's interesting that it also applies to products. I never thought of it that way. I mean, I, I do think of like the macro stuff, like crypto is a good one. NFTs is a good one. Right now, you know, since here in, in, in the United States, they just signed the infrastructure bill or you know, President Biden just signed the infrastructure bill. So my guess is anything related to infrastructure <laughs> is going to be hot, at least for a while. Um, it's fascinating that it's like the same when it comes to like growing a business, understanding like re- I love the reducing your luck factor or ticking the boxes so that there are less less of it less luck involved although luck is of course clearly involved i mean i think we all would agree mm-hmm. that that you got to be a little bit of lucky so um what's the what's the name of the company that's potentially going to go public uh, it's called nft technologies so it's expected to list on the uh, on the stock exchange um in a, i don't know if i can give it an exact date but oh, just, just in the next two weeks yeah in the next two weeks is the expected date um, and uh, it's a, you know, you mentioned NFTs. It's an NFT company. It's called NFT Technologies. It's the first NFT company going public on the stock market. It has the ticker, stock market ticker symbol NFT. Has some <laughs> some big um, investors and advisors, some big names in the space and in business. Wow! wow. You're on. Uh, I think you're on mute. Oh yeah, you're on mute. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. I'll cut that out. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know if you heard me cut out. Someone called. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, so uh, so it's a, I don't know if you heard. So the company going public, um, expected to go public in the next two weeks, is called NFT Technologies. It's going public. It's the first NFT company going public on the stock market, and um, it's going to have the ticker NFT in North America, um, which is pretty exciting. So um, that's going to be pretty big news in the crypto space. Oh yeah, for sure. And I'm assuming that it uh, does NFTs. <laughs> what's the, what's it, the premise behind it? Yeah, so it's, you can look at it as a portfolio company. 
that um, just has a basket of assets within the space. So we invest a lot in the metaverse, in NFT assets, um, NFT startups, and have our own businesses as well that we start our own um, IP that we, we create as well. Um, so we're, we're, um, we create businesses like an incubator type business and a, an accelerator. Plus we invest in other assets and businesses. And the, the accelerator that you guys have, that's all NFT based, anything to do with NFTs um, and crypto? Exactly. Yeah. NFTs, crypto, metaverse, correct. And so, so what's your thoughts on Facebook renaming to meta? Since you're sort of in the kind of the vanguard of all of this, is that a good move for their on their part? I, I, I ask because it just seems like everyone, you know, anytime a big company like changes its name and says the metaverse is where it's at, <laughs> tends to, as you to you point out about timing, tends to make that market just explode. Yeah. So I think first let's look at Facebook changing their name. Period. Before they we we say what they changed it to. Um, Facebook changing their name. Facebook has a few products, WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, Ocular. And out of those products, Facebook is probably number three or four. Mm. Instagram is, is more important than Facebook, at least in my opinion. WhatsApp is, is um, more important, you know, less and less people are using Facebook, still massive, still powerful, but it's the product that's declining while others are increasing in, in popularity. So, I wouldn't be surprised. Like it just that makes sense to change your name from Facebook when Facebook is the declining product and you've got other products out there. You're no longer Facebook. Well, they changed their name to Meta. That stands for Metaverse. I'm pretty pissed off about it because I was I'm very bullish on the Metaverse. You know, I'm I'm extremely vested in the space and I've been for for a while. And I was hoping that we have at least a few months to acquire assets for cheap to play, do you know, to run a few plays before all the craziness and hype comes to on the towards the space. Unfortunately, Facebook screwed that up. So they called themselves Meta. All the hype now is coming to the metaverse. CryptoGate got a bit of a, um, you know, bit of a, bit of a push up as well. So it's good for the space. Is it good for Facebook? I think so. Like I think people want, don't understand how transformative the metaverse will be to our lives, business and personal. And but Facebook does, and. Don't question, you know, you like him or hate him. Don't question their intelligence. Um, so I think they know what they're doing. Um, I'm surprised they managed to get the name and such a sexy name. So um, relative to the hype and the, the term meta, metaverse. So um, we'll see if it's the right decision. But in my opinion, it looks right. Mm. It looks very right. Well, what is it about the metaverse that you're so bullish about? It's like asking someone that really see that really understands the internet back in the nineties. What excites mm. you about the internet? And like, it's hard for anyone to really understand mm. or to really understand the answer to that unless you really understand the technology. So if you look at the metaverse, and I'm not, a, I don't like to talk in a technical way. What is the metaverse? Well, if, first, if you've seen the movie Ready Player One by mm. Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. you'd get an idea of what to expect. Mm-hmm. Essentially, the metaverse is a digital representation of the world we live in today excluding predetermined physics. What I mean by this is right now I'm talking to you on the phone. I'm sitting on this couch. I'm breathing this air here. I'm in Poland for another day. Um, Outside I go, it's cold. It's freezing. I'll probably get on a plane. I'll probably, I'll get on a plane tomorrow. I'll head to 
fuck, out to Malta for a day. And Malta is probably going to be cold as well. Then I head to Dubai, it's going to be warm. And this is the physical world. Yeah. But I, I can't jump on a plane or I can't teleport to Malta. I have to go through the airport, I have to go through security. You know, this is life, this is the physics. But the metaverse essentially is a different world where there is no law of physics. So you can actually teleport somewhere, you can have animals talk to you, you can fly, you can teleport, you can you can swim for 20 hours. You can do whatever you want because physics doesn't apply. The laws of, of, of what allows nature to operate here don't apply, but imagination kicks in. And it's an actual world where you can connect with friends, talk to them. You know, instead of connecting on Facebook and seeing photos, you can go in an actual world and chat to people and see them in your eyes and go to a concert. Concerts in the metaverse are making more money than physical concerts already. Um, Travis Scott made like $12 million in a festival a few years ago on Second Life. Usually makes a million dollars a festival um, in the physical world. And uh, you can go to a festival. You can, you can build a business there. You can watch movies within the metaverse. You can see, go to go to a museum within the metaverse. You can watch, you can be part of a movie. Where instead of watching a movie, you walk in that movie. Imagine Jurassic Park and you're walking around and seeing what's happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, the opportunities are endless. Gaming is big on the metaverse. Obviously, you can't eat. You gotta have sexual intercourse. Um, you know, there's ways already around it, but uh, you know, it's not, it's not, it, at least not in the world we live in. You can't make babies. Okay, it's a better example. You can't have baby, get someone pregnant in the metaverse. But right. um, you know, there's things you can't do. You can't actually enjoy food, at least not yet. And I'm sure they'll come up with something where you do this and like there's sensors that allow some some sort of pleasure that's similar to taste. I don't know. But um, it, it's it's a different world um, that we can operate in. And this is barely touching the surface. Like this is mm. what I can imagine. But mm. most technologies cannot be envisaged by the, you know, no one in the 1990s imagined me and you to be on a Zoom call or imagine many people to be on a live playing a game live or being or, or no. doing everything on a phone. No. Um, I mean, no back in the nineties, it was dial up. <laughs> I mean, you could, you had zero yeah, bandwidth, like, right. You know, yeah. Hardly any. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's fascinating because I mean, I, re- I mean, I was there at the dawn of the internet. I was actually a semiconductor company and we were building chips that went into routers that would, um, you know, route all the packets. And back then, you know, we're talking, geez, early 90s, almost at 2000s was, you know, the big bubble burst in 2000, 2001 when it came to internet. Yeah, no one really knew what was going to happen. I mean, we we all knew that it was important because um, probably a lot of it was just the science fiction at the time. You know, you, you could just sort of envision a world. And I think this is what, Ready Player One, um, there was a book called uh, Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, bunch of these kind of um, science fiction books that sort of, you know, they're 20, 30, 40, 50 years ahead, kind of looking at what's going to be there. And a lot of these things have come true. I mean, just look at, I mean, Star Trek had a lot of stuff that came true. Of course, not Warp Drive yet, but I'm sure Elon Musk is working on that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. It was it was hard to see at the time what what the massive amount. I mean, social media didn't exist in the late '90s. No one no one knew what that was. Nothing, Even nothing were, like, yeah, yeah, like 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 the cloud where everything's on the cloud. That's crazy to imagine back then. And like yeah. we cannot imagine life without the internet. <coughs> it's insane. Um, and I think that the the way we look at the metaverse now is the same way we looked at the internet back in the '90s. 
And the way we look at it in 20 years is the same way we look at the 90s and, tw- and uh, right now, 20, 30 years. So um, the human brain is, is, and that's very important for entrepreneurs to understand, especially when you're in a hype industry. The human brain tends to overestimate the short-term impact of innovation, but underestimate the long-term potential. Right now, we're in the phase of overestimating the short-term impact of the metaverse because it won't be, it won't do shit in the short term. It's just too slow. Technology yeah. isn't there, but we can't even imagine the long-term impact and potential. So I can't wait for. If you're talking about crypto, and I know everyone's interested in crypto now because there's hype. It happens every every few years. Um, so everyone's interested in crypto. I can't wait for the bubble to pop, and for things to quiet down. Now it's not nice to say the bubble to pop, but things to correct and slow down, so we can all have some breathing space and build and position ourselves for um, you know the next the next leg in this run. Um, yeah, no, I'm with so, you. I mean, the NFT thing is a super fascinating thing for me. I I interviewed a guy named Mike <laughs> that has a company called Tiki, and basically what Tiki's doing is it's taking your personal data you know, thousands of data points a day, creating an NFT on your smartphone, and then through smart contracts, allowing you to sell uh, rights to that data for companies to market to you. And, you know, he's just like, well, you know, the traditional NFT minting, it takes a hundred bucks. You can't, you know, you can't mint billions of those a day. It's just cost prohibitive, but they came up with a way to mint an NFT on your you know, your, your mobile phone for less than a penny or some, some, num- I don't remember what the number was. Yeah. So there's, there, there's a lot of blocks. So there's a lot of blockchains that allow you to mint for very, very cheap, but it's, um it's a kind of a battle between minting for cheap and jeopardizing security and decentralization. Right. So I guess very technical here. I won't get into it, but that company seems interesting. I think NFTs are, they're going to change the world we live in today. They, you know, we talked about the metaverse, the metaverse wouldn't exist without NFTs. The NFTs are the atomic unit of the universe, of yeah. the metaverse. Yeah. Uh, because you know the world we live in today won't exist without ownership. Ecom wouldn't exist without ownership because people buy products to own them. So I can't imagine not owning my phone <coughs> or not owning my identity or my AirPods. And I'm sure you can't imagine not owning your home or your books behind you. Just ownership has to exist. Otherwise, I can walk on the street and someone says, hey, give me that phone. I'm like, no, it's my phone. Like, what do you mean your phone? You don't own it. So ownership is key for, for our world to function. But what, what the problem was in the metaverse is that ownership, the, the technology wasn't there to have ownership in the digital world. You can easily right-click and copy. And there was nothing stopping you unless there's like a central entity or platform that doesn't allow you to copy something. So NFTs are essentially the technology to allow digital ownership. That's what it stands mm. for. And with digital ownership, now we can actually have a proper metaverse similar to the physical we live as physical world we live in today. Because now you can have ownership in that digital digital world. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think the ownership piece, the chain of custody, the pedigree. I mean, you know, like when you buy a house, as an example, they have what's called the title search. And I mean, it's this archaic process, but it's a chain of custody. This thing, physical thing. This is who owned it. And this is who has the rights to it. And in some cases, you buy a piece of property, you may not have the rights to the minerals underneath it, which seems odd that someone could actually literally dig underneath your house and pull out the minerals or pull out the oil or whatever. So, so fascinating. So um, what what kind of um, questions 
would you have the next generation of entrepreneur ask themselves as they're sort of coming up? I mean, this world is changing so quick. What should they be asking themselves if they want to be an entrepreneur? What are the facts? What I mean by this is there's going to be a lot of people, me included, that will just give you all these different bits and pieces of advice. Now, I tend to be relatively objective where I don't say do this or do that or this works or that works or this will happen, that will happen. Instead, I will kind of reference a study or reference usually studies or known facts that have been proven by evidence. Why do I say this, even though it sounds boring? I mentioned the study by Bill Gross regarding time. Because most people can't differentiate between causation and correlation, including Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So when an entrepreneur has a successful business, how much is it because of what they, you know, the reason they think is the reason because they did X, Y, Z. And how much is it just because it just happened and it was things that are unrelated to them. Did they launch a cannabis business 10 years ago and they were really early and they happened to, to find a farm that was really inexpensive and, and they happened to meet someone that had a good technology and all came together? Or was it because they had a certain managerial style? Right. I would right. argue that their managerial style had nothing to do with their success. It's because they came in early, they found this farm, they found this technology, and they had a friend that had $500 million that could give them money. <laughs> and all these things came together. Right. And even if they got many other things wrong, those things came together and made it into a successful business. Now, how does this <clears throat> help an entrepreneur listening to this? Well, when you're listening to advice, make sure that the person you're listening from is number one, self-aware, and number two, humble. Self-aware because they know what their weaknesses are. They won't give you advice on things they don't understand because that's probably the worst thing you could do. And then humble is that if they give you advice that doesn't apply or they're wrong about something, they'll say, hey, I'm wrong. Because someone that's not humble will keep giving you that same advice and trying to prove that it's right because they don't want to be wrong. So I would... So to conclude, and what I'm trying, what I'm trying to say with all all this, um, all these references, as you listen to podcasts like this, as you read books, as you listen to to um, interviews and, and watch documentaries, try to differentiate differentiate facts from um, people making assumptions about the reasons for their success or recommendations. And then try to listen to people that have that seem intelligent. Obviously, intelligence is really important, but also more important than intelligence are self-aware and humble because they'll only talk about what they know and <coughs> they won't they'll correct themselves if they got something wrong or they won't say something and they'll say they don't understand or don't know something instead of trying to guess the answer and, and try to save face and, and uh, protect their ego. So that would be my two cents. And I, I was very um vocal about this back in the clubhouse days. I used to be very big in clubhouse uh, because there was just a lot of um, people just spreading BS on there in terms yeah. of business advice. And that kind of got me a bit annoyed. Yeah, no, I like that. I think for me, it's the first principles and the ground truth, like understand the first principles of what's going on. And then the ground yeah. truth, there's always ground truth. Facts are facts. Like you pointed out the laws of physics, certain truths, are self-evident like no one can distribute you know you can't yeah no one can dispute them so wow mario 
Thank you so much for, for taking the time. I know you're busy, super exciting. I'm so glad we got to talk about the metaverse and all. I mean, I'm so fascinated by this and I can't wait to one day continue on the conversation. Best of luck to everything and uh, stay safe. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Mario, uh, for the interview. Wow, what a what a fascinating discussion. I think we could have gone on for hours talking about NFTs and the future and stuff. So um, as promised, here are the actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Mario. Mario advises trying a lot of different things until you find what works. And this may seem counterintuitive because a lot of people say, focus, focus, focus. Well, when you're in your discovery phase of figuring out what you want to do, it's kind of hard to then focus on just one thing. So uh, really, you got to ask your the question to yourself is, okay, you know, what of all the things that I'm working on could potentially be big and or something you want to do with your career? Or uh, are there commonalities between all the things you're interested in? Um, as an example, if you're trying to build your skill stack to, you know, do technology or the web or crypto or NFTs or all the things you're working on related to that core technology. So something to think about. Good timing is one of the most critical predictors of success. Mario relies a lot on studies and evidence, the facts when he's making decisions. This type of research can also help figure out what might be timely. And this is so important because a lot of times, depending on when the market's going to develop or if a technology is too early or you're too early. I mean, I have been on so many companies where we're just too early. Like the market wasn't there, right? And so always ask yourself, am I too early to the market? Are there things going on in the marketplace that I need to think about? Um, is this technology ready for prime time? That's a big one because even though you may think it's cool, you really got to understand the adoption curve and you can look all that up from a Garner adoption curve and sort of stuff. So when asking for advice, look for people who are self-aware and humble. Mario explains that someone who is self-aware knows the limits of what they know. Someone who's humble will acknowledge when they're wrong. And yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's the super important thing when you're looking for mentors or coaches or even co-founders. Like you can't know everything. I mean, that's the one thing I know for certain is that I don't know everything clearly, right? Of course, we can have advice and decisions on things that we've done in the past or give advice, but it is super important to know your limitations. So ask yourself, what are my limitations on these sort of things? Who can I go talk to? Is this person credible? And part of credibility is exactly what Mario says, knowing where your knowledge stops. That is pretty critical. Again, no one can know everything. You can have an idea, you can have heuristics, and you can kind of like think your way through it, but there is no one person in on the planet that knows everything. So make sure that when you are, again, looking for advice or mentors or coaches or co-founders, that there's a bit of, you know, you know, realization, I think would be the good word, that they're, they have limitations. Everyone has limitations. You just got to know your limitations, right? So there you have it. Some of the actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Mario. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. 
You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.